2 Peter chapter 3, though, if you've got your Bible with you this morning, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting there in verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Now, Peter is going to want you to remember some things, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Peter wants you to remember some things. He's closing out his last epistle, his last letter. He's writing to the churches. He wants you to remember some things. That ye, verse 2, that ye, be, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. He says, I want you to remember some things that the Old Testament says, that the scriptures say, the old prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. He goes, I want you to remember those things and what they said about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now we're going to go through these verses and we're going to break down what Peter wants us to remember. But I want to show you that he's talking about the scoffers there in verse 3. And then verse 5, he says about these scoffers, he says, For this they willingly are ignorant. They're, they are willingly, willingly are ignorant. What Peter's telling you is, to put it plain and simple, is scoffers are stupid on purpose. Scoffers, modern day scoffers are stupid. Willingly ignorant means you're willingly ignorant, meaning that you're stupid on purpose. And that's, these scoffers are stupid on purpose. So please go back up to verse 3. Peter wants you to remember there's seven things I'm going to show you this morning that Peter wants you to remember. There's seven things I'm going to show you this morning. Peter wants you to remember. And the first one is he wants you to remember that verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. He wants you to remember that in the last days there's going to be scoffers. Now, brothers and sisters, we're living in the last days. Uh, I've never seen so many scoffers of Christianity, of Christians. I've never seen so much of it. And if you don't believe me, just go on the internet and go on social media, be it Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, or you just pick whichever one you want to look at, and you're going to see people attacking Christianity, showing pictures attacking Christianity, uh, major, major celebrities, major uh, leaders and political leaders just attacking Christianity, attacking Christians, calling us kooky, calling us crazy, call, saying everything they can about it, scoffing about it. I, mean, I was just watching a podcast the other, get, other day, and this guy was talking about something not being true, and he said, oh, you mean like a man uh, coming up from the dead, like what was said about some guy 2,000 years ago, and they both, yeah, ha, 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 yeah, yeah, talking about Jesus Christ. Scoffing. This is a sign we're living in the last days. That should give you some, that should get, do something for you, knowing that, hey, it's getting close that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's getting, it's getting really close. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. What are they doing? They're walking after their own lusts. Their own lust for money, their own lust for knowledge, their own lust for power, their own lust just for plain sex, just their own lust. They're walking after their own lust, and they're not walking after the truth. 
They're not walking after the truth. And they'll say stuff like in verse 4 and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers, fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. He said, everything's the same. Everything, it's always been the same. It's for 2,000 years, you've been telling us that Jesus Christ is going to come back, and nothing has changed. He hasn't shown up. We haven't seen him. As a matter of fact, I think that he didn't even exist. We have people now that say Jesus Christ never even existed. He's just a myth. He's just something people made up. He's something that people, and I've had somebody tell me this. Jesus is somebody they made up just to try to keep people in line. You don't know people very well. You don't know people very well. But that's what they believe. And that's the kind of stuff that they say. And what's interesting about it is it ends, but they say as it were from the beginning of the creation. You see that right there? What's interesting about the end of verse 4 is that's what Peter says they say. And in 2019, that's what every scientist says. That's what every Christian says. That's what every religious leader says. I don't matter, matter if you're an Islam, Muslim, Christian, Catholic. I don't care if you're a Buddhist. They all say, I don't care if you're the biggest atheist in the world. You'll say what the end of verse 4 says. That the creation that we know the universe that we know has a beginning. No doubt about it. It has a beginning. Now who did it begin with? See, that's, the, that's it. So Christians say, in the beginning, God. God. Now an atheist will say, it always was, and then there was a big bang, and this big, boom, that's what created it. But what they have a problem with, which is any third grader would tell you is, who started the big bang? If you really believe in a big boom, and then the universe just exploded and everything, well, who, who made it go boom? Amen. See, the problem is, science has led us, and every religious leader has led us to know that there has to be a beginning to this creation. That's where the danger comes in. That's where the danger on mankind, they're condemning themselves with their own words. Because with their own words, by saying there's a beginning to creation, then there has to be a beginning to life. And then the major question that's been plaguing man since the beginning is, where did we come from? Who created me? Now you can be uh, like, a, like a lot of modern day people. They listen to ACDC and ACDC. Uh, the rock and roll group, they have a song uh, called Who Made Who? And I remember that song came out when I was in high school. Who Made Who? In other words, did we make God or did God make us? And of course, you know their view is that we created God and God's just a made-up image and religion's just a made-up image and where's Jesus coming? They're all scoffing at us. They're all making fun of us. And Peter's going to go on to tell us there's a, reason, there's a reason why they're doing that. There's a reason. Look at verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant. Peter wants to tell you something. And the second thing he wants to remember is that, that these scoffers are stupid on purpose. They're just stupid on purpose. They don't want to know the truth. They don't want to know what's going on. Because when they, find, they get close to finding out the truth, the truth is inconvenient and they don't like it. Because if you have a God, a holy God then you know you're going to be standing before God and you're going to be judged by God. That's something they don't like that. So they'll do anything they can to get rid of that. Anything they can. Believe anything other than God. Amen. They're willingly ignorant. I love that word. Willingly ignorant. 
Have you ever met anybody ignorant before? Amen. <laughs> if you haven't, go on down to Walmart. You'll find plenty of them. They go, for some reason, Walmart just attracts the ignorant people. But the point is, is that it's, we're not talking about ignorant people that just do ignorant things. We're talking about people who are doing this stuff willingly. They're doing this on purpose. And they're willingly ignorant. They don't want the truth. They're trying to avoid the truth. For this, they willingly are ignorant of that. Of what? What are they willingly ignorant of? What are they stupid of? They're trying to ignore the flood. You know, it's so interesting, my study of the Bible for 20-something years, that there's one thing that people miss about the whole Bible. And you can say, well, I don't believe this and I don't believe that. There's one thing that you need to grab a hold of and you need to make sure you believe and understand that that flood that's recorded in Genesis chapter 6, that flood that's recorded in your Holy Bible, it's one of the most documented things that mankind's ever documented. When you you got the it's the flood is in so many different accounts and so many different cultures in the Indians and uh, the Mayans all the, they have all these accounts now they're not exactly like we know the flood to be recorded in Genesis but it's enough to say that there was a worldwide flood and that there was a group of people that were saved during this it's amazing to me but you don't hear about that and Paul Peter's saying here in verse five. That by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Peter wants to point out to you that they're scoffers. These scoffers are stupid on purpose when it comes to the flood. They're just stupid on purpose when it comes to the flood. They completely and totally ignore the ignorant. They ignore the ignorant of God's flood. What was God's flood? God's flood was God's judgment on wicked mankind. Amen. They're so ignorant of it, some of the groups of them, they take the rainbow and make it their symbol. And all that symbol is, is God reminds you, I judged you before, but I'm not going to judge you with water again. Amen. But he's going to judge you with fire. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Amen. So what we have going on with a lot of scoffers, if a scoffer, a, a, an atheist, an unbeliever would just stop and consider what happened at the flood, they might change their opinion what's going on in this world. They're being willfully ignorant, though. They're being stupid on purpose. They don't like, they don't want to study this stuff out. They want to go straight to Noah and say, well, there's no way, there's no way, you believe in this fairy tale, Noah? Just forget all that. Just, just, I don't want you to even think about it. Just think about the flood. We're talking about the flood. We're talking about the flood right here. And that's what, uh, uh, that's what Peter's talking about here, the flood. The, I, I'm always amazed, because I do, I, I really am deep into this subject, and I'm amazed that scientists are so quick to dismiss the flood. And the reason why I say I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised by that is because the flood explains a lot of what science can't figure out. And uh, let me give you an example. And I know you, I use these examples all the time, but you need to hear them. Maybe you never heard them before. But you know up on top of Mount Everest, way up on top of Mount Everest, one of the highest known peaks in the world, you know what they find up on top of Mount Everest? Seashells. 
You know what a scientist will say? Oh, that's a miracle. How'd they get up there? We, we don't have that figured out yet. And they'll have all these theories of how seashells got up on Mount Everest. Well, you know what? We could take one of our kids that come to Sunday school and they can tell you the flood. I put this, little, I put this up here because I wanted to show you what they'll do. Um, here's the cross. We know that was 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago. Well, there's a little thing you can look at mathematically. This is mathematics. We're talking about mathematics. Math doesn't lie. Two plus two is four. And mathematically, we know that in the world today, we've got about 7.4, 7.6 billion people on the world. Well, you know what we have going on with that is, is when you study that out, and you look back in 2000, there was like only 6 billion. And you went down into like 1970, there was 4 billion. So there's a human growth population chart. Google it up. I'm not trying to pull your wool over your eyes. Google it up. And there's a chart, and you can Google it up, and you'll just look at the images on Google, and you'll see this chart, and this is what this chart does. This chart goes just like this. It's a line, and it starts up really high like that, and it goes just like this. And what that tells you is, is that when you've got one billion people, it don't take long to get two billion people. And when you've got two billion people, it don't take very long to get four billion. And from four billion to six billion, it's not been that long. And from six billion to almost eight billion. In other words, the more people you get, the more people you're going to have created. The more babies are being had. And the, so you, but you start, but you've got to go backwards, see. And what's interesting about this chart, brothers and sisters, is when you take this chart, it, like you see this chart, you see the visual of this? Here's the timeline. What's interesting about this chart is if you take this, and I, right here, I'm going to put this, I'm going to put Noah's Ark over here. Okay? About right here, what's interesting about that, if you take this mathematically, mathematically, you take this chart down, and you say, okay, if we have 4 billion, then we had 2 billion, and then we, so, because nobody was counting the people in 1500, amen? Nobody was doing a, a census. They didn't go door to door. How many people do you have in your house? So what they do, they take this mathematically. And this line, this is their own line. This is not my line or our line or a Christian's line. Or, this is their own line, their timeline. The mathematic, it goes just like this. And it gets smaller and smaller because there's less and less people. And you know where that thing ends? Right about where eight people stepped off an ark, according to the Bible. You can't deny that unless you deny a flood. But what's, this is what they do now. They'll go to about, now they're doing this where they'll do about 7,000 uh, B.C. And they'll take that line back to about 7,000 B.C. And then they'll put a little mark in here like this. And then they'll say 3.8 million years. And what they'll do is They'll take this line down to where it's like a centimeter tall like this, where there are like 10 people on the earth, and they'll take that line and they'll run it like this for 3.8 million years. And they call me stupid. That's called, not, that's called being ignorant on purpose. You don't, it, it has to end. There has to be a beginning. It don't go for 3.8 million. The mathematics tell us the mathematics, not 
our belief, not a faith. Mathematics, 2 plus 2 equals 4. It tells us that when you go start here, and we know mathematically we're going down like this, it comes down mathematically, it hits right there. They don't like that. They want to be willfully ignorant, so they just keep it going for 3.8 million years, which is impossible. But they believe this nonsense. The human growth population chart tells us everything we need to know that there was a flood. And Peter says, they're being willfully ignorant of this flood. I know, man. I know, you're listening to a guy who works in sanitation. That drives a trash truck sometimes. I know, what is this trash truck, you know, uneducated fool. Let's see, no, I don't know much. But I, can, I, I have enough common sense to tell when somebody's trying to pull the wool over my eyes. It's kind of hard to get me. It's kind of hard to get me. You can't, you can't get me when, on sales. They don't fool me on sales. It's hard to fool me on stuff like that. But I like it when somebody who's really, really smart comes out and starts thinking just like me. Because you know what that tells me? They're looking at the evidence too. A Yale professor, not a sanitation worker, a Yale professor, famed Yale computer science professor, quits believing in Darwinism. This, is, this just came out just this month. This article, David Gellinter, he's a Yale University professor, has publicly renounced his belief in Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. This is what he says. He's, this guy, what's his credentials? He's a Yale professor. This isn't the professor down at Higher Payne University. This is a major university, one of the best. He's world-renowned for predicting that the World Wide Web would be developed. He's a complex computing tools uh, professor. He, he's, a, he's a professor of computer science, which Wade and Matt could appreciate. He's a chief scientist at Mirror Worlds Technology. He's a member of the National Council of the Arts. This guy is involved in everything. He's very, very intelligent, and this is what he had to say. He said in it, he explained that how his re readings and discussions of Darwinism, evolution, and his competing theories, namely intelligent design, has convinced him that Darwin, Darwin was wrong. This is what he had to say. He said in his interview he sees intelligence in Earth's design and has no quarrel with in intelligent design proponents, but notes that the world is a mess, its suffering far outweighs its goodness. This guy says, you know, I've been looking at all the different views, I've been looking at all the theories, I've been using this open mind. You know what I've came to? This? He said, I came to a realization that there's an intelligent designer to this world. Now, mind you, this is not a Christian. <laughs> this guy is not a Christian. He's just saying, I see that there's something has designed everything out here. And he says, I also see that this world is a mess. There's nothing good in it. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? Amen. Amen. He, he just said he hadn't gotten all the way to the truth. Amen. This is what, I want to read this to you. I, this is very important to read this to you. He said he likes many of his colleagues. He gets along with them. He has many friends at Yale. He says this, though. Their intellectual behavior, what they have published, and much more importantly, what they tell their students, Darwinism has indeed passed beyond a scientific argument as far as they're concerned. He says, you take your life in your hands to challenge it intellectually. He says, you're risking your life to tell them you don't agree with them. They will destroy you if you challenge it. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like a religious belief, like a Muslim or something. 
He says, now I haven't been destroyed. I'm not a biologist. He says, and I don't claim to be an authority on this topic. But what I've seen in their behavior intellectually and at colleges across the West is nothing approaching free speech on this topic. In other words, you can't talk about it. It is a bitter, listen to this. This is what he says about Darwinism. When he talks to people about Darwinism, he says, it's a bitter, fundamental, angry, outrage, rejection of intelligent design. He said they're just angry and it, it's outdated and they don't want to talk about it and they're trying to just do away with intelligent design, which comes nowhere near scientific or intellectual discussion. I've seen it happen again and again. I am attacking, listen to what he says here. If you listen to anything this morning, listen to what I say to you this morning. This Yale professor who's not a Christian says about Charles Darwin and the Darwin uh, evolutionary theory. This is what he says about it. I am attacking their religion. And I don't blame them for being all head up. It is a big issue for them. And they ask him, is there, any, is this, is there anything we can do to change this? This is what he says. Religion is imparted more than anything else. He says, this is a religion to them. Religion is imparted more than anything else by the parents to the children. The parents impart the religion to the children. And this is what he says. And young people are brought up as little Darwinists. Kids I see running around New Haven and are all Darwinists. The students in my class, they're all Darwinists. I am not hopeful. Nothing's going to change. These, these people are crazy. They're being willfully, willingly ignorant of the truth. And when somebody who's very, very highly educated, who's very intelligent, stands up and says, hey, I'm starting to question this. I don't know if I believe in it. He says they go completely crazy, outraged, mad, and try to destroy you. That's not me saying this. I'm repeating what he said. Guys, we're living in the last days where a man who lives in a free country can't stand up and say, I don't believe in this theory of yours. They hate it when you call it a theory. This latest one that came out just a couple of days ago. Skull of humankind's oldest known ancestors discovered. Oh, we found the oldest known ancestor of mankind. And it says this iconic finding of a 3.8 million year old fossil in Ethiopia casts doubts on previous evolutionary theory. That's their own writing. That's, that's not a Christian writing this. That's their own writing. They're saying, this new skull we found that we think is an ancestor of mankind, he says, this, this is going to cast doubts on the evolutionary theory, how we know it. And the point was that they're just arguing about if it's an ancestor, if it's not. They can't prove it's an ape or if it's not. They just want to believe something. But the point is, is that just a year before this, if you would have argued with them, they would have screamed at you in your face and said, you're just an idiot and you don't know what you're talking about. And a year later, they're arguing with each other about if it's true or not. What they even believe. They don't know. I'm trying to get it into your head this morning. The scoffers are scoffing and making fun of you, but they don't know either. They don't know. And we really don't know. We weren't there. I wasn't there when God created all this. I'm living it by faith. Amen. They are living it by faith. They're just being willingly ignorant because they got their faith against God. What are they willingly ignorant about? They're ignorant that God, 
brought a flood to judge mankind. They don't want to be judged. Why? Because they're walking after their own lust. Verse 3. That's what Peter wants you to remember. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to believe it. They don't want to believe God would judge them. I've dealt with the J.A.W.s about this. And I know I've heard this story a hundred times. Y'all forgive me. Maybe there's somebody in here that hadn't heard it. But I had a J.W. when I was really young. Knock on my door. She said, got to argue with me. And I said, uh, y'all don't believe in hell. And she said, well, let me ask you this, young man. Because I had my little son there. And he's about a year old. Less than that, actually. And there was a Dearborn heater sitting in that house. And she, she pointed at that Dearborn heater, which happened to be on, and she says, if your son misbehaves, are you going to take your son's hand and put it in that fire? And I was, I was took back. I was startled. I said, uh, no, ma'am. And God came in through the Holy Spirit in me and said, ask her this. Because I'm not smart enough to ask her anything this smart. I turned to her and I said, well, let me ask you this. If, my, if your child misbehaved, would you drown him? She said, no. I said, then what about the flood? Because that's exactly what God did. He drowned them. And judged them. Here's the problem. The JWs don't want to believe in God's judgment. And neither do a lot of other people. But if, you get, if you're a sinner like I was and realize if there is a judgment, I'm doomed. I need a way out. You're going to run to Jesus Christ as quick as you can. You're going to say, Lord Jesus Christ, I, I, I need salvation. I need, I need out. I, I, I don't have a chance. I don't want to be judged. And guys, all the other stuff happens is wonderful. I'm going to run from hell to get to Jesus Christ just to try to escape hell, never knowing that God is going to give me a place in heaven and give me, make my life wonderful and give me all this wonderful thing. That's the problem with Christianity today, I think. I really believe this, that Christians, they're, they're, they're not realizing what they're getting saved from. They're thinking, they're thinking, well, I'm getting saved to heaven. But yeah, that's true. I mean, that's true. I'm not trying to take that away, but you need to really grab a hold of You're getting saved from a judging hell. You're getting saved from God's judgment. And let me tell you something. When it comes to God, he's going to do it. And Paul, Peter wants you to remember this. And they're being willfully ignorant that God has already judged all of mankind at the flood. And wiped them out. Drowned them. All of them. And Peter says, uh, it's coming. It's coming again. And this time, it's not going to be water, verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Instead of water, God's going to use fire. Well, it's been 2,000 years, Brother Keegan, and that's what Peter says here in verse 8. Read with me verse 8. But beloved... Be not ignorant of this one thing. He said, if you're going to be ignorant about something, at least, at least don't be ignorant of this. What's that, Peter? That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. What Peter tells you, and he wants to remind you, is people say, well, it's been going on for 2,000 years, and where's Jesus? It's been two days. No, Jesus, no, Jesus ain't come back yet. And Peter said, I want to remind you that God doesn't look at time like we look at time. If a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years, Jesus Christ has been gone just about, just about two days. 
Two days, that's all. In God's eyes, just about two days. So don't get caught up into this like, well, it's been going on for thousands of years. Yeah, for God, it's been a couple of days. But it's going to happen. And that's what you need to read the next verse about. Look at the next verse. What else do we need to remember? We need to remember this, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. That's it right there. Remember, the Lord keeps his promises. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count, as some men count slackness, but as long suffering to us were, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now we uh, appreciate our God because our God is a God of promises. And our God keeps his promises and I thank him for that. I thank him for being a wonderful God that promises us different things in our life, different things waiting for us in heaven. And I believe in this God. He's always kept his promises. You can't find a place in the Bible or in scripture or you can't find a Christian one that said God didn't keep his promise with me. I've never met one. I've never seen anywhere in scripture where God broke his promise. But when we read that, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. As Christians, what do we read there? His promises of blessing. Amen? And you should. Because you're a Christian. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. And you know what those promises are. The promises of heaven. The promises of a new body. The promises, all the wonderful promises of having a great church family. All those wonderful promises of the Holy Spirit. But the same God that promises to give you blessings is the same God that says, and let me tell you something, you're going to get judgment. I promise you that. That's the same God. The same God that keeps his promises to bless you is the same God that can keep his promises to judge you. And they're being willfully ignorant of that. And they're forgetting it. And they're forgetting it on purpose. You know, uh, look at verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. See, that's one of the main characteristics of God that so many men and women take advantage of. Uh, as a Christian, and I've seen this in a lot of y'all's lives in here, because a lot of y'all are so kind. I mean, y'all are just kind people. Y'all go out of y'all's way for people. Y'all give money to people. Y'all go help people do all kinds of different things. Y'all, really, honestly, uh, most every Christian I've met are very kind that way. And what the world does is the world takes kindness. The world makes this mistake. The world takes kindness to equal weakness. Have you, seen, you noticed that? That the world, when you're kind, they automatically think that you're weak. And, that, and that's not true. Because to be strong... It's to be, uh, to be kind, it takes all the strength in you to be kind. It's the easiest thing to be mean and to be hateful, to not do the right thing, just to, just to let my, let my uh, anger, my jealousy, my hatred just come out. That's the easy thing. It takes all my strength to be kind and to get out of the way and let the Lord use me. But the world does that. The world takes weakness, uh, kindness to mean weakness. And what the world does with the Lord is the, Lord, uh, the world mistakes God's long-suffering for acceptance of their sin. What the world does is they see the long-sufferingness of God where he's not automatically sending lightning down and striking them dead. And they're, doing, they're living in this sin and they start honestly thinking that God's accepting the way they're living and how they're acting. 
And what they're doing is they're taking advantage of God's long-suffering. Our, our God is loving and long-suffering. And that's a wonderful characteristic of our God. But he's being took advantage of by people. So much so that they have forgot that he's going to judge them. So much so that they start trying to change the character of God from being this, from being this judging, righteous, holy God to this loving God that's so loving he would never judge anybody. And that's a perverted God. Our God is a God of love and a God of judging. He's a God of promises, a promises of blessing and a promise of cursing or judgment. And they've took advantage of it. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, I'm going to read that to you. I don't, make, I don't want y'all to change there, but, uh, go there, but I'll read it to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 11 tells you exactly why men are that way. Men, men, men live the way they live for this simple reason. And, and Solomon... The wisest man ever walks out, out on this earth outside of Jesus Christ. He tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. At the end of Solomon's life, this is what he says. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. He basically says, men don't get punished as soon as what they're doing is wrong. So they get in their heart, they start keep doing it, and they keep doing it, and they keep doing it. Because they get away with it. And they get away with it, and they get away with it until that day that judgment shows up. That's why men act the way they do. But our God is a loving God. And back in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, this is why he, this is show you exactly why he is. He's, he's long-suffering. Why is he that? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Every, every, every Calvinist should take that ver verse and choke on it. That verse tells you right there that God's not willing any to perish. Amen. He's not willing any to go to he hell. God's not willing, to, he, he's not willing that when he judges you, he's going to have to judge you and send you to hell. That's not God's will. He's, he's so unwilling to do that, he's willing to come down here and die and be spit on and be crucified for me and you Amen. to get you out of that judgment. He's not willing any to perish, but that all, all should come to repentance. The Lord is basically waiting for the scoffers to repent. While they laugh and mock, mock him and make fun of him. And see, if you're like me, that stuff just makes me angry. I'll, be, I'll see these people on TV, on the internet, and uh, it just makes, it gets me so stirred up. I get so mad, I have to turn the stuff off. But you know what God does? God just keeps on loving them. See, I'm not God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because see, if I was God, I'd, just have, I'd have them take a lightning bolt and just every time they scoffed, I'd just, I'd send lightning down, you know. Yeah, I just, you know, just wiping them all out. Ah. Yeah, that's me if I was God. But let, you know, uh, let me tell you something I did when I was 15. I mocked God when I was 15. I made fun of Christians when I was 15. I scoffed just like these other scoffers when I was 15, 16 years old. God could have struck me dead right there and should have. But you know what God says? See that little idiot down there? I love him. I'm not willing for him to perish. I'm going to send somebody with the gospel by his way. Thank God. We have a long-suffering God that's not willing for any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
And there was, a coming, there was a time in my life when I was 17 years old when I got the gospel. And after all the scoffing I'd done and all, I made fun of Christians and all that, I repented and received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I had one of my best friends at that time. He made so much fun of me. He made, he made fun of me so much. I can't believe you. You're acting just like my mom now. You're, just one that, you're like I'm one of those holy rollers. And then his mom, who was a good Christian, she thought I was the best thing ever happened. I want you to keep hanging around him. You keep hanging around him. I want you, you're going to change him. You're going to change him. And, and, and no, it don't work that way. He's got a free will. He's got to make his own mind up. He wants Jesus Christ. But I was one of these scoffers. And I should have had the lightning bolt. But our God is not that God. Amen. Our God is not willing for you to perish. Look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that be are therein shall be burned up. God's going, to take, God's going to take this world, this earth, and he's going to fry it. He's going to burn it up. But what we need to remember about that verse, Peter says, and we need to remember that when Jesus comes back, it's going to surprise a lot of people. He's going to come back as a thief in the night. The thief never, you never catch the thief. You know, that's the worst feeling in the world. I, I pull it one day, and I had something on my front porch. It was a rocking chair, and I pulled it one day, and it's like, where'd that rocking chair go? And somebody had came and stole it. And I was mad about I'm still mad about that to this day. I mean, that thief, he came in, in the middle of the night. That's how Jesus is going to come. You're not going to be expecting it. You're going to think, ah, he's not showing up. There's nothing going to And all of a sudden, and what does the thief come and do? The thief comes into your house and steals the most precious thing you have. And the devil and his world, they're going to be around here, and one day they're going to look around, they'll go, where'd all those Christians go? Some thief has came and took away the most precious thing this world has, the church, and raptured them out. And then Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to burn this place up with fire. Amen. Judge it like he judged it with the water. Don't forget the flood. Because there's a baptism of fire coming. Amen. Verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Good question. This is the sixth one. The sixth thing he wants you to remember. Knowing all, that's going to go, knowing all that's going to happen in this world, how should we be living in it? How should we be conducting ourselves? Knowing, and I believe this beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's going to burn this thing up. It's going to be tor torched, toast. How should we be living our life? Should we be putting so much, so much importance on the things of this world? So much importance on the material things of this world? See, to me, the beautiful illustration of this is I found it as being a trash man in the city of Brownwood. Sanitation. See, you can learn a lot just by watching those things around you. We have uh, houses that they decide they're going to demolish. Call them doing a demo. And before we demolish that house, one of the, somebody from City Hall goes by and they have a piece of paper and they put the, on that written piece of paper on the door, this house is uh, assigned to be demolished not inhabitable, get away from it, it's going to be destroyed. And that piece of paper is written. 
And it might not be, and it most definitely is never the same day they put that piece of paper on there. It might be a month from then. I've seen it go for years and years and years where that piece of paper is on that door. And then one day we get the call, go tear it down. Go tear it down. We don't know which ones they're going to tear down, how they're going to do it. We don't know. How stupid and foolish would it be for somebody to see that piece of paper on that, on that door and go in there and start painting the house, start moving all their valuables into the house, knowing it's going to get destroyed? That would be the most foolish thing a person could do. And we've actually seen people do it. That's what Christians are doing. We're putting all our importance, all the stuff on this world, and brothers and sisters, it's going to go up. <laughs> whoosh. God's going to burn it up. Just, whoosh. that's it. He's going to burn all this up. See, what you've got to understand about the flood, and this should remind you about the flood, you're looking at a destroyed earth already. This earth's been destroyed by water. You're just seeing it kind of coming back to life after the flood. This ain't the way God intended it. When we get our earth, it's going to be no thorns, no mosquitoes, no ants. Nobody's going, nothing's going to be biting. It's going to be a beautiful garden. And that's what we're promised. We need to remember that. Look at verse 12. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. We're looking for it. We should be looking for Jesus Christ to come back. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, God's promise is what? Look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Amen. Well, if we're not supposed to be living in this world like uh, it's going to last forever, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be looking for the new heavens and the new earth. That's the promise. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you're keeping your eyes on heaven. Take your, take your eyes off the world. Remember that God has flooded this world already and judged it. And he gave us a rainbow. Don't let them take that rainbow away from you. When you see that rainbow, you remember two things. God judged this world with the flood. He's going to judge it again. But he promised he's not going to do it with water. That's a covenant. And you got people waving that rainbow flag. And all they're doing is, God's going to judge me. God's going to judge me. And God's not willing to judge them. God don't want to judge them. God wants them to repent. But they're willfully ignorant. They're stupid on purpose. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't stop telling them the truth about Jesus Christ. Because our God is willing that they get saved just like me and you got saved. We need to be out there spreading the gospel for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy. And Lord, I just pray if there's somebody in the sound of my voice, Father, that's never took, a, took the time to receive you as their Lord and Savior, uh, Father, Lord, if they never took Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father, as we give this invitation, Father, I just pray they'll come on down here and get right, Lord. And Father, we want to thank you for your promises. Well, we want to thank you that you promised us a place in heaven, Lord, no matter what happens to us in this life. We've got a good heaven waiting for us, a mansion. And Lord, above all else, Father, I'm just thankful that you got my family that are saved up there with it. I'm waiting to see my family again. I can't wait. And Lord, I just thank you for your word, your scripture that tells us that is appointed unto us men once to die, then the judgment. 
Lord, thank you for reminding us that you will judge us. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that I got out of that judgment by taking Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, letting him take my judgment for me, and me taking his righteousness, Lord. Thank you for that transaction. And Lord, I can't thank you enough for your love, Lord, and I can't thank you enough for your long-suffering. Thank you for putting up with me, Lord. And Lord, I just pray you bless these people this morning. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. Let's have an invitation, brother. I don't know what the Lord's laid on y'all's heart, but uh, I know we're living in the last days, and instead of making you scared, that should make you happy. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for the Lord to come back. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now it's an amazing verse of course talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. 
I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.